been writing articles lately, and one of the articles I just wrote is the name of this podcast, and what I'm starting to do is essentially write these articles because I already write an outline for my podcast as it is, and then I usually cover the sort of key points uh, that are written in this outline in the podcast. And so I've been writing these articles because I might as well just publish what I'm already writing, and that's essentially what's been happening as of late. Now, um, this article is called, titled, The Great Game, which I will identify why I call it that, uh, how self-described globalists and technocrats have controlled the world and how to defeat them. Now, this is a, uh, a, a big topic, uh, but let's break down just the title itself. So the great game is a reference to what the British used to call um, the great game when they dominated India. When the British came into India, they were clearly um, outnumbered. Um, I think there was only a few thousand British uh, troops and administrative people. Every part of the British was there's just a few thousand of them. So that didn't even include a bunch of soldiers. And so what they would do is they would get close with all the tribal leaders of India. And there were a lot of different parts of India, different... Um, dialects even there were there was a lot of division actually in india at the time um they were at once unified as an empire um and then have kind of you know fallen to segments or statehoods around india and, and or i guess you could even say uh territories or something of those terminology and uh, they they all didn't agree um very similar to the book i read about japan same with japan um all the little island nations, there was once like an emperor of Japan and then there wasn't and then it became like sort of its own government and then like there were these independent islands and they all had their own rulers on each island and they didn't all agree with each other. And it, So the history of a lot of different territories is like that. Um, they tend to unite for some reasons and then they tend to dissipate for others. So the India we know today is not the same India that once was. Um, so just to be clear on that. And... So with the idea that the great game was really to get these tribal leaders or these, you know, territorial leaders to war against each other. And they would constantly just create these feuds between the warlords. It would be like a he said, she said. Um, and then these wars would break out. And then what would happen is the British would come in with their technology and everything and uh, their diplomacy, essentially. And they would mediate between two different tribal leaders. They would actually cause division and conflict. And this is the concept we know of today as divide and conquer. So this is the old ancient technology, if you will. Um, it's not just the British that came up with this strategy. Uh, this has been a military strategy used for generations, ancient civilizations even. And so the divide and conquer is very, very simple. Um, when you are aiding and abetting uh, territorial disputes by funding both sides of the conflict. The Ro Rockefellers have done that in World War II. Um, when you're funding and hedging by knowing that the world is crazy and then you're just going to bet on both sides, that's what usually happens. Um, we are also experiencing the great game today. This is why I called the article The Great Game because we are 
under the same sort of divide and conquer strategy that we were under during that time period in India, and as well as many other historical contexts uh, going back all the way till ancient Rome even. So self-described globalists. So why do I say the words self-described? Well, they, these globalists, these technocrats, these people, they, they are into transhumanism. They are writing books about this new religion. And I do say religion. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a collection of ideas. This transhumanism is an, it's a religion. It's, you, you, you tend to feel more that these people are like zealots towards this religion. Um, to be zealous is to be extremely excited, um, almost, um, thrilled to convert others to your cause. And so, um, what I've noticed is there's this dialogue of information with these books by Klaus Schwab, you know, COVID-19, the great reset, things like that. Um, the fourth turning and, um, the fourth industrial complex, things like that, like all of these different books and, and writings that have been coming out, out of Bilderberg, out of the Davos group and, and the people who run the, the place, they are creating a religion that essentially is committed to taking humanity and then merging them with machine, using artificial intelligence in a way that can not just um, predict the future, but also to create the future right? By adding stimulus to different levels of human nature to therefore get a human response to certain causes. And so Twitter, for example, is a military intelligence operation. Um, this is why when Elon Musk went to buy it, there was actually so much um, stir around it because it isn't as easy as what people believe. Um, it's not just a platform. It's not just a social media place. Twitter is a military operation. The U.S. military uses it. Um, other military operations are being used through it. They're, um, I would consider the Chinese as very interested in the military operations going on in Twitter. And why do I even say that? Twitter is the, I know Facebook we know as just like the largest platform generally for the people. But Twitter is uh, very similar to Facebook, but Twitter is almost the public forum for world leaders and diplomats and um, communication around the world. So like when you can verify that this Saudi Arabian king, let's say, has a, uh, a Twitter, what that tweet, what that what that the tweets that do come from that particular Twitter account is the word of that particular king or prince of Saudi Arabia. That's just an example. But the the usage of Twitter is that there are very few million bots, not to go on a whole rant on Twitter, but this is just to explain to you one, one segment of the technocratic state, which is to use technology to add stimuli what is trending. What is trending isn't really what is trending. It's artificial stimuli added into and pumped into the Twitter user base. So then the Twitter users believe that something's trending and then they have to comment on it, right? And this is the use of mass psychology, mass consciousness to move into a particular topic, to move into a particular field, very similar to the COVID-19 uh, program that they had run. The, the panic about it, uh, the fear around it, the media coverage on it, just so much about 
the actual uh, pandemic was very much a military-style operation, divide and conquer, but to achieve multiple aims, right? Uh, to confuse the psychology of people, to get them to commit to medication like a vaccine, um, which wasn't really a vaccine at all, and, and things of that nature. So we just went through a military psychological operation. That is what COVID-19 was. Um, and so now we're through that, um, and we've been pr we've proved that we're willing to take a an mRNA jab, right? That we're 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 wanting to take on this technology. In a way, this is the transhumanism model. They want to take the natural DNA of human beings and manipulate it in their own way. And again, this sounds super conspiratorial and out there, but a lot of this has been documented. I have a whole bookshelf in front of me, actually, and I've got couple different books here that can explain to you. This is from their own words, by the way. It's not just some conspiracy theorist who wrote a book. No, these are their own words. I mean, these are Klaus Schwab's books talking about the fourth industrial revolution, like th this kind of thing about merging humankind with uh, AI, artificial intelligence, robots, however you want to look at it. So essentially the iRobot world, right? Um, iRobot mixed with Player One, which uh, Player One, in my opinion, was a great nostalgic movie, personally. I loved the movie. But to get, to get the young people on board with it, you have to get everyone at every single level. So in the title itself, obviously there's a lot to say about it. They control the world. That's an assumption, right? How they've controlled the world and how to defeat them. So a part of the article essentially is what I'm saying now. How do they control the world? They add stimuli using social media, using what's trending, using major media outlets, but it's not just major media outlets anymore because the media doesn't really have a lot of power. What has a lot of power now and they're shifting focus into is TikTok influencers, Instagram influencers, uh, big large podcasts, things of that nature. So people that you think or believe are um, independent or they have their own thing going, uh, it, it really isn't that case. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's actually uh, pushing different ideas. I'm trying to come up with the name of that one guy who he has that famous book. Um, let me see, it's actually, I'm actually gonna look this up right now. Amazon book, here we go. So if I go to books on Amazon, I'm just clicking, I just went to amazon.com and we go to books, okay? If I were to click on, let's see. If I click on history, oh wow, Alex Jones's book is at like near the top of the history. That's 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 really interesting. Let's see, where is it? I'm actually trying to find it now. They had it at the top of Oh, top rated. There's, well, there's changing world order. So much history books, actually. Leadership by Ken, uh, Henry Kissinger. There was, um, I think it's called Sapiens, um, something like that. And it's, it's, a, it's like all the history of mankind kind of thing. Um, let me actually try to find it. But point being, that particular book, I, that was at the top of the charts for a while. Um, and so I was, I was always curious as to like, oh, it's called Sapiens, okay? Yuval Noah Harari, that guy, that author, A Brief History of Humankind. So Sapiens, the book, I haven't read it myself. I'd be actually interested in, in, in reading it, but I've, I've seen it on people's bookshelves. Um, I've seen it around. It is literally the Audible. I, I'm looking at it right now on Amazon. The Audible is $0, okay? So it's a free book on Audible. Think about that. I want you to understand. 
why are things like this free? You see, Yuval Noah Harari is like a mouthpiece. So there's globalists and technocrats who kind of rule the world. They're in the top part of, I guess you could say, the power structure. And I'm going to get into that because they don't all agree with each other. However, they're in the top of this sort of uh, this structure, right? Then you've got these, uh, I guess you could even say layers of understanding. And in these layers of understanding, in the top level, they're on a totally different level. I mean, you and I, we could grasp an idea of what they want to do and what how they think or what they're thinking, but we really don't actually know. These are people who are genuinely behind the scenes um, who do exist. These are the head of Goldman Sachs, uh, the, the head of Davos Forum, uh, the, the, these large bankers, the, uh, the shareholders of the Federal Reserve Bank. These types of families, Rothschilds, Rockefellers, we don't, we're not in their heads. Um, Rockefeller family used to be very in the public, actually. Um, they have since been, ever since John D. Rockefeller had passed away in like, I think it was 2016, actually. Uh, he was extremely old. Uh, he, I think after he passed away, I think the Rockefellers have kind of gone into like their own sort of hiding, I guess you could say, or just not being in the, I guess, in the, in the public eye. But regardless, there's these like top level layers that we probably will never come to understand. But then you have these sort of lower level tiers of, of uh, profits, if you will. Uh, the Bill Gateses, the Klaus Schwabs, the, the Yuval Noah Hararis, uh, these types of individuals are the ideologues, okay? The ideologues kind of, they mold globalist, technocratic, transhumanism philosophy, religion, and they are the ones who export it into the world. The world in terms of how do they do that? Because there are this other layer, I guess you could even say, and the next layer are the heads of large corporations, right? The Walmarts of the world, the Amazons of the world, the Netflixes, the media companies. I mean, all of these different um, avenues of, of corporations, they all are essentially the, the drug dealers of this new religion. So they carry on these, these books by Klaus Schwab. So Klaus Schwab's books, for example, they're not read by normal average everyday people. Like Klaus Schwab's not trying to make money selling books, okay? What happens is Klaus Schwab writes a book and then every major world leader who's a part of this World Economic Forum, they get that book like a Bible and they read through it as the world leader, as their nation's you know prime minister or president. They then implement those ideas. And this is how Klaus Schwab, again, is exporting the religion of transhumanism and globalism and all the things. And by the way, globalism isn't the same as it was it was. Globalist doesn't just mean, oh, someone who wants the world to be at peace and someone who wants to just, you know, um, connect everybody and, and live in a globalized world. We've been hearing that a lot. Um, it's not really just that. Uh, globalization has now shifted into world order. Like we want to control the globe, like globalization to a level of like, we're going to offshore all the jobs from America. We're going to make China the manufacturing power, but then China can't have a military. Then we're going to make America just a military power and the US dollar as a reserve status. We're going to put all these banking systems here and the New York City is going to become the financial center of the world instead of out of London after World War II. So we're going to make America just export their dollar and 
uh, only essentially have a military as the police of the world. So then now America's military is involved in all these conflicts, totally against what our founders ever talked about. But now America's involved in all these conflicts around the world. And then, you know, Europe is just sort of consolidating and the European Union is trying to bring all of Europe together and, and, and they're just going to export all of those ideas and concepts, especially dealing around climate change and the security state, um, the social credit score. Things they're already kind of doing in China as a, as a template. They're going to move into Europe, which is always first. They always take on the tyranny first. And then America, Canada, uh, the S South American region, Africa is just kind of like they're just mining places out of there. They've already got that place under control. You know how they have Africa under control? $9 a gallon gasoline. And that's according to like that's there like in U.S. dollars. So essentially they control Africa, even though Africa is super rich in resources, they control Africa by allocating those resources um, into only areas and at prices that are determined by these large globalist corporations. So now that you kind of know about that, these are these layers of understanding. So here I am on Amazon pulling up books, Sapiens. I know some of you have heard of the book Sapiens, but again, just to go back to it all, this is how they are able to get you to believe that you're actually, you know, like taking on this new, this new life, this new form of understanding. Right. Um, and, and I think that we have to, we have to really get that because at the end of the day, uh, people are going to believe whatever they believe going into this entire article. I started by talking about the, the history of human humans shaping civilization. So I talked about collective power and I said that collective power derives from humans ability to establish the systems for how the world operates as a whole. And I said that throughout history, you can see that humans have organized into tribes, empires, kingdoms, and then nations and their attempt to establish a civilization rich with culture, language, architecture, enterprises, systems of government and military power. And we can admire these attempts and oftentimes successes made by humans before us to establish various types of civilizations. So when you grasp that idea of history, when you understand that humans in all of their forms, and I'm talking even Native Americans who were here before uh, modern civilization came, they still organized into tribes. They organize very natural for that to happen. And it sounds like it's natural because we are built off of the family. Uh, we are built off of obviously mother, father, connecting, having children, birthing the genetics of your, the next line, the next generation. And so people have to kind of understand that. Um, and so point being, like we have witnessed humans developing civilization for a quite a long time okay um if you want to talk about civilization for sure you can almost even refer back to the um the aztecs right and the aztecs themselves were able to essentially like create civilization um they were building civilization before we could even come to that understanding and so when you really think about that there is a really profound concept about 
how humans do decide to organize and create their civilization. Um, and then more importantly, how the leaders, by the way, leaders are organically defined. They are basically, they, they, they come to being naturally. It's a very natural existence to witness leaders and, and to have leaders rise to the occasion and lead a tribe or lead an empire, a nation, okay? And the way in which those leaders gain their power, um, that's all up for debate. So in many different types of civilizations, there are, uh, there's brutality um, and there's, there's the, uh, I guess you could even say the ability to um, bring about power by barbarism and by force. Um, so there's that aspect of civilization. And, and I'm not going to go into every single detail because in the article, I actually put in a little chart that explains uh, or even displays different types of civilization. So going into detail there, um, just addressing that human beings build civilizations, okay? And then the next paragraph, going into that, ha having that, with that awareness, right, of our innate human capability, it's not difficult to grasp the concept of leaders, whether publicly known or covert, would use their influence, whether sought or unsought, to direct large masses of human action in a manner that fulfills their own agenda. The agenda has been different depending on the time and place in history. Sometimes there are benevolent leaders who have an agenda that is best suited for their people, while other times there are malevolent leaders who have an agenda that is detrimental for their people. So what am I bringing about here? So we kind of talk a lot about leadership and, and what a leader really is about. Um, why do we idolize leaders? Um, th this also defeats the idea of full-on collectivism, by the way. There's always a leader in every every type of human civilization. And honestly, I think it's extremely organic. I do hear a lot of, um, I guess you could even almost say anarchists, but in a weird way, like these collectivists. I think I remember even Antifa, um, the organization, the anti-fascist, very fascist actually organization, Antifa, they would they would say to each other, that like we are all one, they would use this type of language, this cult-like language. They would um, delegate everything. Uh, they never wanted. They never wanted a leader. There was not a leader of a chapter or or anything like that. Apparently, according to these insiders who got information, these sort of whistleblowers and these people who were embedded inside of Antifa, there is no like leadership. They all want to think that they're just supposed to be all one and all this. And um, they use that collectivist model when we know from human nature that leaders are absolutely natural. They are absolutely a part of our civilization. And it happens absolutely naturally. How do we know that? Native Americans. Think about it. There is no outside influence on these people that were here in America for generations. However, they had leaders that headed up all of these different tribes now, you can maybe point to me some anomaly where there was a tribe and there was no leader. There was no tribal leader and maybe they all just sort of ran their community differently. I'm not really sure. But 
what I do know is that most tribes in America, again, no outside influence, had leaders. And that means that leadership is a totally natural phenomenon. So with that being said and acknowledged, it's easy to understand how leaders, those who are appointed, whether spiritually or physically, politically or whatever, however their method, by those people can lead people in whatever direction that they want. They could lead people to war. They could lead people to peace. They could lead people to build incredible things. Look at the Persian Empire, the creators of the game of chess, okay? Um, look at the Roman Empire. These are, look at Alexander the Great. I mean, just like exporting that influence, right? And I'm not saying all that is perfect. I'm just mentioning that as an example. And so when we look at that today, it's easy to see how there are generations of wealth, generations of power that has been distributed from, I would even say, especially the 1500s, because in the 1500s, that's where this new source of wealth was built. Whereas Europe was very confined um, and there was the Silk Road through China into Asia. There was all these mystical stories about it from before the 1500s, um, really before the 1400s, I would say. There was a lot of mystery around um, different levels of trade and things happening with the Asian countries. And so when I really think about that, essentially what comes to mind is that when sailing became more of a serious long distance thing in the mid 1400s, the Portuguese especially who started this sort of pioneering were able to find a way under south of Africa, not under because we're just looking at the map, but they were able to go around the tip of South Africa and into the Spice Islands. And I think that arguably, okay, that opened up so much new wealth that it changed the world order, if that makes any sense. It globalized the world. And those that were first, like the Portuguese, ended up becoming the dominant empire at the time. They became the world reserve currency. And they became the, the country, the nation, that was dedicated most to a world empire because they had colonies riddled throughout the West Africa into South Africa and then over into the Spice Islands and even into India. And uh, later, priests ended up in Japan as well. So as far as Japan. And so you have Portuguese settlements, trading posts all throughout and of course shipbuilding and um, ship maintenance areas already built. And when you build the infrastructure of a nation, especially when it comes to commerce, military, and trade, that is what's going to build up an empire. And that's what the Portuguese did at first. And so it opened up this whole new world of wealth, something that was totally not understood at the time. And so with that came extremely wealthy merchants. I mean, if you were invested in shipping or even ship insurance, and there were insurance companies back then as well for like voyages, because I mean, you never knew if you were going to yield anything. But if, if, a, if a voyage was successful in making it 
south of Africa into the Spice Islands without pirates, without any problems, and then come right back with all these spices, very, very valuable spices, by the way, then that was worth millions of dollars in today's currency, okay? A profit, by the way. So it was an extremely exponentially profitable venture unless you know something you know was sank or pirates control of it or or didn't didn't go well whatever something happened in those spice islands that caused an issue right there were tons of that at first cuz these sort of native peoples native speaking peoples of these islands were not very familiar with these new beings right these new Europeans and so this generational power this leadership Going back into the 1400s has really been able to, I guess you could even say, um, give in royalties their wealth to their children and then their children and then their children and their children. And what's most important is that these people were able to amass such wealth, they were going to control all parts of the world. And yes, it is true that wars and conflicts between powers have destroyed wealth and, and, and essentially stolen wealth from some of the wealthy, so one wealthy family to another wealthy family. So like the Habsburgs, for example, is a whole English family, is European, you know, it's a European family because they're not just English. Well, it's just kind of like these, these families do come and go. However, for the most part, a lot of this leadership, a lot of these people still have power and wealth to this day. And they are the shareholders of the Bank of London and the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund and the Federal Reserve Bank. I mean, these are major financial institutions. They essentially own the money supply, okay? And uh, Mayor Rothschild said it himself. He said, if you own the currency, if you own the money, I need not worry who runs the country because they own the money supply, obviously. So with that being said, as I mentioned, there was benevolent and malevolent, meaning benevolent leaders are like good-hearted, want what's best for their people. They want to connect with those folks in a deeper, more profound way and lead them to greatness. Um, a lot of it has to do with pride, pride of nationhood, uh, pride of language and pride of their culture. Uh, so much pride in their culture, they want to export that culture to other parts of the world. And in so doing so, feel that they have even more power. Because if other people start to adopt a culture of a nation a thousand miles away, that nation can just influence those national leaders or that tribal leader or that whatever it is in that island or that country to do whatever they want. Does that make sense? It's more powerful than coming in there with brute force. If you can steal, in a sense, the culture of another nation or at the very least export your culture to infiltrate their culture of another nation, of another place apart in, in any part of the world, you are going to be able to control that part of the world. And that's why very important fundamental rights like free speech and the freedom of information is so important. And I want to get into this other, this other very important topic as well.
And that is Hollywood in America. So the CIA was involved heavily in exporting the concepts of capitalism and Americana and patriotism, which again, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan because again, exporting culture is a lot more peaceful than the British performing the great game on India. Can we agree on that? So again, if you're going to, if the CIA is going to be involved in, you know, uh, exporting culture or implementing culture that was patriotic and that leaned towards Americanism and that fought the Soviets because there was a war between, obviously a Cold War was happening between the Soviets and America. And more importantly, during the Cold War, it was a Cold War. So there wasn't physical war happening because it would essentially end the world. In a Cold War, what is more important? If you don't have physical capabilities to destroy your enemy, the most important war during that kind of time is a culture war. You export your culture. Which culture is better? That's the fundamental key to winning a war using information. And they have it, it's called informational warfare. This is fourth generation warfare. What I'm telling you are written in military textbooks today. Our military today, more importantly than ever, they export the culture of America. They use non-governmental organizations in Iraq, in Syria, in Libya, in Ukraine, in these other places across the world to export American goodness, right? Oh, we're here to save you. We're here to help you. We're here to guide you and give you the principles. And it's worked a little bit. They call it nation building. And there are a lot of people in defense contracting and even right now in the military that might be listening to this that believe that that is genuinely a way to build the American empire. And those who are super into the American empire, they believe that that is the best way to fight a world war. I, however... I'm more of an isolationist. I, I don't think that that's what we should be doing, um, but I'm not too I'm not too far off from it, you know, because I do believe that it is important to export our ideas, right? If we export our ideas to other parts of the world, we're going to end up in a better world. Why do I say that? I do believe I'm kind of an idea supremacist here when it comes down to good ideas. If people have great good ideas, that should be distributed around the world. If there's a way to get water and filter it better, if there's a way to create technology that improves the quality of life for somebody, then it should be given away, possibly even for free. I don't mind if someone's taking some kind of capitalist venture on it. But it is important to me that we understand that fundamental nature and we go about it in a positive way. So we can export that kind of culture. So later in the article, I started to write about today, okay? Today, bringing it to the modern era, we have a combination of both benevolent and malevolent leaders within the small groups of people with power. And I do mention that there's small groups, okay? There's a reason for that. There are some that are publicly known, some leaders, and some that are not known at all. The obscure and often unknown powerful people have an agenda for our civilization that, if fully comprehended, is destructive and could be described as a dystopia. 
the publicly known leaders are a combination of either genuinely guiding humanity benevolently, covertly serving the obscure powerful people's agenda, or are completely incompetent. So what do I mean here? I'm identifying that there are leaders, public and not public, there are people unknown and known, and that there are th these people that are unknown behind the scenes, if you will, behind the veil in the matrix, okay, the builders of the matrix that we live in, those people are dedicated to their ideas, their agenda, which when you really break it down is more like a dystopia. It is essentially Ready Player One, right? Uh, that movie where you're plugged in and you're playing a video game all day, but you're poor and broke and you live in the shack on this high rise, right? That technocracy that they're building, it is dystopic, okay? That is essentially what they're looking to do now. So I'm identifying for you that there are genuinely uh, these people, they do exist, and they do not all agree. And then there are genuine people who are um, benevolently leading. There are people, I would say, even like the head of Brazil um, and uh, even Putin to some extent in his own way. I would say Putin and President Xi, the president of China, are like anti-heroes. You ever heard of anti-heroes? Anti-heroes are like, what comes to mind is Wolverine, for example. Wolverine is kind of like, he clearly has issues. He's an angry person. Um, he can be destructive. Uh, he's not always the hero that does it for the good of the people. He's, uh, sometimes he's motivated by romance, motivated by love, sex. They're driven by other things. Um, a lot like uh, Ryan Reynolds plays Deadpool. Deadpool is an anti-hero as well. He's, he's kind of like, the, you know, he's out here, he's kind of a mass killer, but then he's used for good and because he's on his own uh, revenge tour, you know, during the films and his, and his comics. So I would say he's kind of like an anti-hero. Well, Putin and Trump and President Xi, these people, they're world leaders, um, they're kind of like anti-heroes. Uh, they're not always going to be perfectly on the mark. However, they do mean well for their people. Like they do genuinely want their people to be successful. Um, they want uh, almost even their culture, their their um, their nationality uh, to be strong. And there's a masculinity involved in that. So I'm not saying they're perfect, but again, these are types of people that are genuinely trying to lead in a benevolent way uh, while people get in the way of that. And I think people think of going to war and, and destroying other countries or destroying other 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 places as, as all negative, all bad. But in reality, what tends to happen is these types of wars and conflicts that happen for the good of that nation or because that nation's provoked in a bad way, they're almost defending themselves. Those are things that are justified. They're justifiable wars. People have this libertarian idea that you shouldn't go to war at all. It's just all peace and love. And I'm all about that. However, the problem with that philosophy is that other people want to go to war with you. It's like one thing, I'm not going to carry a gun and I'm going to be a good saint and I'm going to be a monk and I'm never going to cause anything harm. I'm going to let the mosquito bite me and take my blood whatever it is your philosophy is. 
But then when there are a group of, you know, gangsters, let's say, and you're out in the city somewhere and they rob you and they beat you and they, you know, take your money and take your stuff, you could sit there and say, oh, yeah, sure, I, I you know, I let that happen and that's not a problem. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that is kind of an issue and uh, you probably shouldn't just let that happen, right? You have the right fundamentally to defend yourself. And that's why we go into that self-defense and that idea there. So there are all these different leaders. Um, I do kind of point out that there are, uh, I go into detail a little bit here. So the commonly unknown powerful people in the world can be traced back to old European royalty, as I mentioned, trading and, and uh, different wars that happened then in, in European history, Jewish ancestry. So yeah, I mean, the Jews, part of Israel, I mean, that's ancient stuff. Arabic ancestry, Persian Empire, things of that nature, and Asian ancestry. There's, you know, the Ming Dynasty and all these different dynasties that exist in families and things like that, and all over China and India and Japan. And to say that all the most powerful people in the world have the same agenda for civilization is elementary at best. Elementary meaning very basic understanding. Like you, you really, you're not into the real world orders that are happening because they are not the same. That would be just an unjust generalization, as I mentioned. There are competing world powers and multiple agendas at play. These powerful families slash cartels dominate and control the banking industry, the energy industry, the military industry, the media industry, political bureaucracies of a majority of countries, not all countries, and even the most prominent religions in the world. If you think the Pope is a, 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 a sovereign, you know, super independent, real religious leader today, then me and you do not agree <laughs> because that is also not true. The Pope is coerced, controlled, and he essentially uh, on board. Right now, this particular pope is on board with globalist, technocratic, artificial intelligence agenda, that kind of thing. So they, being these uh, powerful people, uh, have coerced, blackmailed, convinced, and influenced the public leaders in politics, entertainment, religion, and the previously stated industries to carry out their agendas. So... Really, the paragraph here is just going into detail on the fact that uh, these people are still in control, but they're in control by delegation. And if you've ever run a company or a business, you know that when you really have financial freedom or when you really are able to do what it is you do, you can come to that conclusion that delegation is the key to success. If you are able to duplicate yourself into other people and they are able to complete tasks that you have learned to do, then you are going to be able to control more aspects of not just you know your, your, your inner world, or I guess you could even say the little bubble that you have, the little small business, the little whatever, but actual like large scale corporations and even nations, a bunch of nations. So just get instead of micro with the idea of delegation, like, oh, my kids vacuum. So that's what my kids do. So I don't have to do it. That's delegating. Good job, right? That's, that's micro. 
macro delegation is like, I have a, I'm this super powerful leader. I make unlimited amounts of money. Money is just, money is everywhere. Money's, money's free to that person. They don't have a, they're not striving to make more of it. And they're not worried of losing it. Imagine when you get to that place, when you, you don't worry about losing your wealth. You don't worry about losing your money. And you really don't have to make any more money. You, have, you don't have to, no effort required to make any more money. But yet you control a large portion of the money supply itself. Imagine if you're in that position. You almost get bored. And I'm telling you, this is the only way we can get in their heads of these people who essentially live in this particular lifestyle. These people are able to control by delegating their philosophy, delegating their religious ideas. And yes, it's true that a lot of these people start to get in, in alignment, start to get in agreement around these particular issues. However, it's not always in alignment. They're not all in agreement, right? Um, that's kind of what we have to understand. And, and the, the article is, by, by the way, really, really great. I think that everyone should take time to listen to the article. Or, I mean, sorry, read the article. Um, problem, reaction, solution, strategy. So this is the actual way they divide and conquer us, okay? We are living through a time where hidden agendas over the past few centuries are being revealed and publicly implemented under the guise of saving the world. The agendas of many of these extremely powerful people have been publicly marketed in the classic problem, reaction, solution model. Take the pandemic as an example. They made a communicable coronavirus in a lab, spread it around the world, that's the problem, used media to instill widespread panic, mandated insane policies like masking and social distancing, that's the reaction, and funneled everyone into taking toxic vaccines, and that's the solution. This is how they convince you and I that their agenda is right for humanity. This would be characterized as the collectivism model. If you understand this process, problem, reaction, solution, then you can see how effective their strategy is. Even the best of us can be convinced if they are talking about a subject close to our hearts. As an example of this, let's say you are a health coach who is vehemently against forcing everyone to take a vaccine and have thoroughly seen the proof that it is neither safe nor effective. But you are also a proclaimed environmentalist who believes in man-made climate change. You had the discernment over the vaccine issue, knowing for sure that it was a psychological operation to dupe people into taking a toxic medication, yet were blindsided by the idea that the same scam artists would dupe people into believing the world is being harmed by too much carbon dioxide, a greenhouse gas that is a part of the very life cycle of Earth. Now, I make that as an example because I say a lot of times that people's Bluetooth journey, uh, or sorry, red, red pill Bluetooth. Uh, that's so funny. Uh, people's red pill journey is oftentimes through avenues that they don't always connect the dots with. Um, so for example, somebody can be red pilled and be like, wow, uh, the food I eat is crap and I'm going to wake up to that and I'm going to start eating healthier 
and I'm going to not eat, you know, this or that pesticide or artificial flavorings or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And they start eating real natural food, um, whatever diet they go ahead and take up, whatever. So they're awake, right? They realize that there's, there's a red pill with like food and the way it's made or the way it's done or whatever. And then they're, they're like awake and they're aware and they're on top of that game, right? But then they still believe the media, for example, let's just say that they are like, yeah, like they're into the media. They're afraid of like the COVID thing, or, um, they believe that their racism is everywhere, you know? And again, it's, there's pockets of it. I'm not saying it's not, but it's just like, really, like, really we're back in the 1950s, dude. Like, no, of course not. So like, let's say that they're, they're still blue pilled, right. In certain areas of their life. And I often say that when you red pill, it starts with something. So it's something in your health. And then spiritually you get red pilled like, oh, wow, like, wow, we're not just, um, you know, these sort of physical life forms and, and just moving about with no purpose or conviction in any direction on earth where we're, we're, we're purposeful, we're created by a creator. Like, let's say you just have a red pill moment. And so now your health is, is on point. Now your spiritual life is on point. And then you have a financial red pill, which is like, oh my gosh, I'm in the freaking rat race, man. I'm working at, you know, trading time for money. I need to start thinking bigger with my life. I need to start going into those different directions. So those are more red pills. So, but that happens as a process, you know, you're not going to get all of the down loads at once. And so my red pill journey has been the same way. It's been a process. And so I just wanted to mention that up front as a level for you to understand. And so that's very common that people will be duped into one thing, but then they're awake to another. So we have to kind of navigate all of this information very carefully and be able to be aware that we're not always being lied to, but to be skeptical enough to think, okay, wait a second, the people pushing the vaccine are also pushing this idea that uh, carbon dioxide is a pollutant and is warming the atmosphere and making ice melt in the green, in, in the, I'm saying Greenland, but in, in, the, in the Antarctica or whatever, and, and that bears are floating around on icicles. Like, to believe that is also to just, it's just jargon that you would never really actually be uh, contain or, or be serious with, right? Now, this is the part where I'm shifting into our individual power, okay? So I'm going to read from the article here. This is how those in power who are malevolent with harmful intentions for humanity are able to have widespread dominance over the agenda for the construction and design of modern civilization. The most crucial part, however, is the fact that they need you and I to be convinced that their agenda is what is right for humanity. Otherwise, it would never truly be successfully implemented. You see, there is no room for dissent in this new world order. They are attempting to instill. If a nation or group of people in the world somewhere defies these insane agendas at any level, and proves how fraudulent they are, then the whole house of cards comes falling down. This is effectively breaking the matrix. Now, of course, this is what happened. I can give so many examples, but this is what happened in Stockholm, Sweden, but Sweden, the nation, but Stockholm in, in, in particular, because they never locked down the country. They never shut down small businesses. And I think if they did, they did it for an extremely short period of time. They, they learned that lockdowns were not good for their society. 
and they were on they were just like I wouldn't say they were going against everything, but they were. Uh, they were just doing things in their own way. And essentially, when you look at the data and when you look at the infection rate and the amount of infections and then the amount of people that died of COVID in Sweden, you'll actually come to understand that it was not the percentages that was like in America. And a lot of it has to do with obesity and, and overweight problems and people in Sweden just aren't necessarily that unhealthy like we are here in America and, and all over Europe, you know, different places are, diff are healthier in, in different ways. Like Italy's got a lot of heart problems because they eat a lot of gluten, for example, uh, pastas and things. So when you think about it, you know, the Sweden model worked, but those people was a collection of individuals who proved that the agenda was fucking scam, right? They proved it by just doing whatever they wanted to do. Now, I will say I'm not idolizing Sweden in any way because they have a lot of problems. Um, they basically have a social credit score implemented there. They're really big uh, proponents of the climate change agenda. They're already, I uh, think they're um, unrolling the carbon credit system out there. Um, so again, just really important stuff for you guys to understand and for a later podcast. So that's kind of cool. Um, basically saying that any, if anybody anywhere, that could be a group of friends of yours. If you gather and you're like, hey, I'm not about whatever this other shit is about. I would say uh, my group of friends, for example, we tend to get out in nature more often. We tend to go out and co-create with one another. Um, we tend to want to start businesses with one another. We don't want to live in the rat race world. We don't want to live plugged into the matrix on the technology all day. We tend to want freedom and we want nature and we want the freedom to think. We want the, the liberty of being able to do the things that we really want to do in life. I mean, most of my friends live the life that they want to live. Like they want to do certain things and they go and do it. So I'm surrounded by that and essentially surrounded by matrix breakers, right? And so I go on in the article. I will define what their agenda for civilization really is in the future articles and podcasts. And we've been talking about the agenda right now already as it is. And we've been doing so in the podcast already. So, uh, but I can tell you that we are living in it right now. So this is carrying on with the article. A handful of things on their agenda worth mentioning are the following. Control of the world's medical modalities. Control of a majority of the land in the world. Control over the resources of the world. Control over the world's climate and natural processes. So unlike what you think that you, oh, they're going to go stop climate change. No, they're not stopping climate change. They are investing in geoengineering projects. Yes, aerosol injections, they do exist. I'm not going to say they're at the level that everybody else believes. I do believe that they have geoengineering happening. I do believe that they manipulate weather. I do believe that they're creating different levels of um, uh, nature and things uh, like, for example, in uh, Qatar and in Dubai. They're essentially turning a desert into an oasis by modifying the weather. They are literally man-made climate change. I mean, they are literally changing the climate of a certain area of the world. Okay. So that just like that is mind blowing, by the way. So just anyway, 
going back to this thing, it's just they want control over the climate. Yes, they actually want to control the climate. Yes, Bill Gates has invested in aerosol injections that are put inside of fuel under the guise of, oh, this is just jet fuel. But in reality, it's dispensing all of these aerosols to actually block the sun. I'm not kidding you. You can even look this up on Google of all places. They're blocking sunlight to stop the heating of the earth, which isn't even happening in the first place. Again, a anti-human agenda, right? Uh, they want control of all the governments, uh, local and national in the world. Control over technology. Uh, look at, I'm not even going to start with technology. It's just endless. Control of the exploration of the moon and Mars. That's another big thing people aren't really paying attention to. And most importantly, control over the minds of human beings. So, I went through that litany of, uh, of things that they want to control. And, and every, at so many different levels, by the way, there are different power structures who are in control of these different elements, okay? Um, like Mark Zuckerberg and the new VR system of Facebook, right? Like all of that, for example, is, is kind of like a new idea, but he's in control of that sort of AI uh, part of the world, I guess you could say. So uh, reading on from the article, this is why they are removing the human element in society. Very important. Humans have the ability to use discernment when making decisions. It might be true that humans are psychologically programmed to follow orders from authority as the Milgram experiment proves. By the way, Milgram experiment, definitely need to look that up if you haven't already. It's the shocking experiment where they had a guy in a lab coat, doctor, whatever, and they had a, the subject was actually the person who was implementing shock therapy to a, another person who was in another room. And that person was the, uh, was also a part of the experiment. So they weren't actually being shocked. They were actors. I'm telling you something. If, if you already know this, then you already know this, but, uh, those people were in the other, in the other room and they were blocked off kind of like, um, you can hear them, but you couldn't see them. So the subject was the person who they believed they were actually uh, experimenting on this other person. They, were, they thought that they were there to see um, the levels of shock therapy with answering questions or whatever. So what would happen is the doctor authority person would ask a question on the intercom to the person being shocked, which they weren't being shocked really. And the, the doctor would say, what is the capital of so-and-so? And the person would be like, Oh, uh, this, and it was wrong. So they would ask the person in the chair, this, the actual subject of the experiment, they would say, give them a level three shock. And then they would say, okay. And they would press the level three shock. And then the shock would go on. And then the person would be like, ow, that hurt. And then eventually they did the whole thing. We're level 10, all the way to level 10. So everybody in the experiment got to different levels. But guess what? Most people got to, and we're talking about the actor at level six, seven, eight. At those levels, the actor is like yelling like, oh, I need to be done with this experiment. I, I have a heart condition. I, I, I don't think I can be shocked anymore. So they're saying that they're being hurt. They're saying that they want to quit. They're saying that this isn't right. They're saying they, they, they want to be done with it. And the authority sitting there like, don't you worry about that person sitting there saying that. You just stay focused here. They've already agreed to doing this and you just need to listen to me and just and just do what I'm asking you to do. And most people would literally shock people to their death. 
okay? And the whole Milgram experiment was based off of the Nazis. And because they, they were wondering on these trials, this was during the trials in Israel where they were conducting um, trials of high top level Nazis, um, doctors, military commanders, different people who were, you know, carrying out mass uh, death or, or just uh, or war crimes, things like that, especially crimes against the Jewish people. And so during this sort of trial, they were bringing evidence, right? And so um, one of the, the Milgram experiment, I'm not saying that, they, that he had sided with the Nazis, but... In a way, he had Milgram had proved that people will follow orders, even if it means it will kill someone else. If it's from an authority figure, human beings will follow those orders, and that's hundred percent. Like I, I get that, and so I mention that here, saying that hey, humans will follow orders generally. Okay, just saying that, but we are still subject to speculation and rebellion from authority. Do you see what I mean there? So we're, we're still subject to speculation, meaning like we can speculate, we can be curious to say, is that the right thing to do? Is this really what I'm supposed to be doing right now? Or am I hurting somebody? You know, like you start to ask questions, you start to speculate, right? And then of course humans can go from speculation and curiosity with the masks and I don't know if this actually works and you know, they start having that awakening, right? Uh, but they can go from speculation all the way to rebellion. And so rebellion is like, how about fuck you? I'm not going to do this. I know you think you have authority, but I'm actually going to rebel against you. See, that's that next tier of saying fuck no. Um, and so humans do have that capability. This is why they're going to try to remove the human element. Okay, This inherent trait in all of us, the rebellion trait, the idea that we can question things, Although not on full display most of the time. So no, most people aren't questioning things. Most people aren't curious. Most people are just inside their paradigms, okay? This is enough to eliminate humans from the equation for the full implementation of the agenda. Let me carry on on this. These self-described technocrats want to use technology to do their bidding. They see the advancement of technology as the advancement of their ability to control the outcomes for the world. The majority of their agenda can only be complete once scientists build successful artificial intelligence and robotics to carry out orders. It's kind of like that movie in Iron Man, right? When the guy is, uh, there's like that scientist guy and he's helping uh, Iron Man's like nemesis build an Iron Man suit, right? So the guy is like trying to recreate what Tony, Tony Stark did in a cave, right? And the guy's getting frustrated like, how can you not just, the guy was in a cave and he was doing this. How could, I've got all the technology for you. I've got everything you need. I've got all the money you need. Like, how can you not rebuild me an Iron Man suit, right? And so they're trying to do it all, right? And the guy's like, okay, well, blah, blah, blah. it's almost like a Frankenstein thing. So then he completes it. And then the big bad guy's like, I'm going to kill you now and kills the guy. And the guy, the scientist ends up dying. And then, and of course what he's like Iron Man's nemesis or whatever. So he goes and fights Iron Man. Same thing. It's like Frankenstein. They're building, you know, there's all these scientists working day and night, day and night, day and night, trying to build an artificial intelligence, trying to build something that's going to be like, oh, we're just friendly and we're just here to do what humans don't want to do. And that's how it all starts. You see it also, oh, they're the garbage man. Oh, they're the, they're sweeping your house. Oh, they're vacuuming your house. Oh, it's just, they're cleaning. Oh, they're just, they're just doing the jobs that, you know, these immigrants were going to do, you know, this is like this, this type of language they use. 
And so th- th- going on with that is like, really, we're, we're building our own destruction. So uh, the majority of their agenda can only be complete once these scientists build these artificial intelligence and these robots to carry out orders because they don't have a sense of humanity. They don't know, oh, I'm killing a bunch of freaking people. Like, yes, human beings have the capability of mass uh, mass carnage and uh, mass death. So yeah, they'll kill people. They'll, once you demonize somebody enough and you demonize a class of people, uh, a race, an ethnicity, a nationality, a religion, right? Like look at Muslims. To this day, Muslim Islam is the most barbaric um, religion because of their ability to just kill infidels like legit just chop their heads off and it's totally normal and look in iran right now if there's any any level of dissent towards the islamic religion in iran you are politically persecuted there so this reminds me really of the movie star wars where they essentially build a clone army right obi-wan flies into this you know this raining planet it's always raining apparently over there um, and they're, you know, building a clone army. And this was different from the, dro- the droids. So the droid army was the, the past sort of thing where it's like they're a bunch of robots. Now you have clone armies that are cloning humans. And then, you know, they use like the ideal human. They use Boba Fett or Jabba Fett, whatever, whoever it was. And they're cloning a bunch of humans. And then what happens then? Well, the clone wars, right? So the clones were used in battling the droid armies. So it's like this fake army, you know, this like, well, it's not a fake army, but it's a, a fake purpose, really, because they destroy the droid army and the droid, uh, the, the, the different planets that controlled the droid armies were actually being circumvented. And they were like, no, the clone army is going to be the real empire. So the droids and the droid uh, empire, you know, whatever, the people who ran the droids and built the droids and all that stuff, they were being offed right? While the empire was being built. And so even though Obi-Wan didn't know and the Jedi's didn't realize it at the time, there was the Sith Lord, of course, the emperor was there the whole time, Palpatine, right? And why am I going into the whole Star Wars thing? Because later, of course, in episode three, the clone army starts to go off and kill all the Jedi. So they were, uh, they were embedded inside the Jedi you know, quarters. They were trusted by the Jedi to go and kill all the droids, right? And destroy the droid army. But then in reality, the clone army was built to kill the Jedi. And so then the clone army kills the Jedi and they become what's known as the stormtrooper, right? So later on, they're 30 years later, they're the stormtroopers. So we know of the droid, the, the stormtroopers and all those people who are, you know, they're all got their things, their helmets on and all that. So point being, that's kind of what was happening today. There's scientists and people building this new world, right? This new artificial intelligence, not recognizing quite yet how this is going to impact the rest of the world, right? So if humans are still being used as pawns to carry out their agenda, it will never really happen because humans are flawed, corruptible, and also have a tendency to repent for their mistakes. And so I, I continue to write here, Look at Joe Biden as an example. He is without question experiencing dementia and is in no way fit to be president of the United States. But they keep him in power. Why? Because they don't want someone who makes their own decisions. They want a puppet who's barely cognitively functioning. This is why we've seen the administrative state go wild 
with their attempt to regulate America's economy out of existence. To the contrary, Joe Biden is also a de detriment to the power structure because he is so clearly incapacitated that people aren't excitedly following his every dictate, unlike charismatic evil leaders like Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, or Adolf Hitler. Those kinds of leaders instill enthusiasm in their people. The people zealously go along with their dictates, which have also been the result of very powerful people behind the scenes pulling the strings. So what am I mentioning here? Again, is I'm giving Joe Biden as an example. He's a nobody. He's just a puppet. It's so clear and obvious that he is, but that's the whole point of it. It's so clear and obvious because that's what they're trying to project is that you're not electing your own leaders anymore. We get to select your leaders for you. And I think that that's kind of the, the, the message that's across here is that we don't have actual leadership. Uh, America is just a, like a boat that's sort of in the swaying winds of time. And we're stuck in that place. And that's what globalists and technocrats, they want America to be viewed as, as an aimless, lifeless ship just going about and no real leadership, right? And that's Joe Biden. But then when I go into the, you know, how these charismatic leaders, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, Adolf Hitler, I mean, these leaders were powerful. They had speeches that galvanized crowds, that got people extremely interested in what they had to say. And when they did eventually take power, those people were listened to. The people who followed them were zealous. They were following that dictate. Whatever they said was just facts and true. And in a way, that's what they, how they maintained their control. And uh, in both, in all of it, but really in, in Soviet Union especially, information was not allowed to be distributed freely there. You had a extremely limited paradigm of reality, and that was what was the, gov the government provided for you. And so very similarly, we see something like that happening with the disinformation board. Remember when they came out with that? The, the government came out and said, we're going we're gonna to classify what's truth and what isn't truth. This is very similar to 1984 novels, The Ministry of Truth. The Ministry of Truth was this, um, this idea that you would have these selected people, these you know fact checkers. This is reality happening now. But these fact checkers would go about and say, what is true? And they are from that position of authority, Milgram Experiment. They are telling you what is true, right? We saw this heavily used in the COVID-19 sort of um, messaging, right? Anytime someone's like, you must wear a mask because it protects from infection. It's like, okay, great. But then someone's like, wait, no, that's not true. This article, this scientific evidence shows it doesn't really work, doesn't stop communicable diseases, blah, blah, blah. They would put a little tag on there. This is misinformation or this is out of context. Read this information. They would have a little link, right, as the ministry of truth. I mean, that is fucking dystopic. Do you understand that? Like if you do not understand how dystopic that is, that some other authority, some other person somewhere else is going to tell you what is true, that will fuck you up. But if you know history and you understand what these leaders I just mentioned here, if you know how they were able to gain all this power, and not only that, but even behind the scenes, how globalists and technocrats even then were using these people as front people to gain their power, 
If you can't see how following these dictates and thinking that someone else is going to find the truth for you and bring it to you. No, even right now, as I tell you, I'm, I'm doing this podcast on a podcast called Matrix Breakers. Even now, I would say to you that you still need to go do your own research and come to your own understanding. So I say this as a solution. Individualism is the solution. The solution is a concept Americans and other people around the world have implemented throughout the past few centuries called individualism. In individualist societies, it is the individual who is given rights by their creator and with these rights are able to carry out life as they see fit without violating the rights of others. The chart below, which in the article you can see, will help define the difference between individualism and other political and social orders. Where individualism is successfully implemented, we see humans using the most ingenuity, creativity, and ambition to solve their problems and make society a better place. Even when governments try to replicate this level of creativity, it is nearly impossible. It is the oftentimes unpredictable and chaotic stage of mankind that achieves the greatest accomplishments when provided the freedom, ambition, and energy to see them through. Individualism is the solution to the destructive agenda of globalists and technocrats because it is the antithesis of the system they are looking to create. So, that is kind of the way I wanted to conclude the article. I did provide an example here, and you can, I would say just read the article, uh, but I will give you some notes on it. The, the example I provided in saying what I was saying was, well, before I get into the example, actually, just to clarify, so individualism is a kind of a, um, a social order, and um, it, it essentially provides that the individual is the person with the civil rights. The individual is protected. The individual is the minority, okay? When you think about the individual as the minority, the, the, you think of minority now, you think of somebody of a different race other than white. So, so they've somehow classified you as the minority as someone, oh, minorities, minorities, minorities. Well, that's not always true, by the way. Uh, Hispanic population will essentially overpopulate and probably take over like European white ancestry um, genetics here in America very soon, probably by 2050. However, when it comes to minorities, the minority, I get their concept. Oh yeah, the majority can't rule the minority. That's not what they're saying, even though that is how it is. That, that is kind of like how it is in terms of collectivism and socialism and communism. It's majority rule. It's, it's we're gonna outvote you. And I'm not about that. I, I think that the individual decides their fate, okay? So it's kind of like if you are committed at a certain job or a certain place, I, I totally understand that. You have to follow the rules. However, it, you committed to that job as an individual, right? So if you're in a career or a place or a job or workplace, whatever, and you're like, oh, not everybody, it's, all, it's not fair, whatever. That's not individual. Individualism is like, well, you chose to be there. And so you, you're the individual with the rights to be there or not be there. So no one's going to force you to work a job or force you to do anything. Like slavery, for example, is the total antithesis of individualism. Individualism is individual power. And so they want to get rid of all that. They do not want you to be an individual. They don't want you to grow your own food. They don't want you to raise your own food if you're into cattle and, 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 and things of that nature, animal products. 
They don't want you hunting. Uh, they don't want you outdoors. They don't even want you on nature. They don't even want you to touch grass. They would rather you be in a fucking pod, in a virtual reality, consuming all the things that they want to provide for you. They want to control all that content, deliver it in a way that makes sense only for them. And they want to censor all the political and um, uh, social, cultural dissidents, meaning like anything that goes against what I just said. And they want to create that technocracy of just that's all you know, that's all you ever understand. And so I mentioned the whole thing about um, individualism as an example of the of flying machine. So the way we took flight, a lot of people have heard the, the, of the Wright brothers. The Wright brothers were bicycle repairmen and bicycle shop owning people in Ohio. And how did they end up inventing the flying machine? Something that entire governments were spending money on trying to create. You understand? Okay. The Germans, the Brazilians, the French, the Europe, the, uh, the English. So many people, the Italians, they were all trying to um, build a, uh, a plane. They were trying to build a plane, but they couldn't get the concepts down. So you think of the Wright brothers, but I'm sure that you've never heard of Samuel Langley. Samuel Langley was like a top-level engineer, top-level bureaucrat at the time in the early 1900s. And so during Teddy Roosevelt's presidency, they had a task force in the military that was like, hey – we need to get a plane going. We need to build the first airplane. We need to do this for military purposes, especially, more importantly, but also for economic and social purposes to move products faster, to get people where they need to be faster. Like all of that stuff was a whole new idea. And so a bunch of government bureaucrats were investing money. I'm talking like millions of dollars, even in back then. They were investing so much money to try and build an airplane. But the, the, the bureaucrats and all inside their paradigms, they were trying to create. And this is the whole thing with NASA and SpaceX. This is why SpaceX, I believe that space exploration should be a private industry because it's, it just, it's, just, it's just fucking facts. It's more innovative, okay? People are going to invent new technology, new ideas in the private sector more hands down ever than in the government bureaucratic nature. Why is that? It's not that in government and bureaucratic you know, institutions, it's not that they can't create something new. It's just that they are too much in the paradigm that they are in that they can't actually imagine things. Their imagination is literally limited, okay? I'm not going to go into the whole thing about DC and how people from DC are like that and bureaucrats are like that and all that stuff. But I can just assure you that private individuals motivated by, again, as I mentioned, what I mentioned in, in individualism, they're motivated in individualism. We see the most ingenuity, creativity, and ambition to solve the world's problems and make society a better place. That's what I mentioned there. So I'm clarifying that here when I write about the Wright brothers. See, Samuel Langley, you don't even know who he is because he failed. He was a bureaucrat who failed at building the airplane. So because you've never heard of him, you know that this person, even though they were well-funded, they were not successful, okay? They ended up dumping planes into the river. Whereas the Wright brothers, again, people who were not well-funded, people who were just creative and trying to find the solutions and doing it on their own completely, were able to take flight. 
And again, it's, it's, it, it could have been just as easy for Samuel Langley to do it. Obviously, way easier, right? Because he had all the money. He had all the backing. He had the military support. He had the support of the entire American government at the time to build a fucking airplane. And he couldn't fucking do it. But this guy, those two brothers, end up inventing the fucking airplane. And this goes to the facts that more humans means more ingenuity, not less. More humans doesn't mean an overpopulated earth and a fucked up environment. It means innovation and ideas. And I, once uh, this guy, the head of the Greenpeace Foundation, I forgot his name. His name's John, but I forgot his last name. And this guy mentioned it so perfectly. He said, we thought that population was going to cap out at a certain amount. But once fertilizer was invented and they were able to fertilize, you know, different parts of, of the land. I'm not getting into the whole fertilizer thing and all the different levels of pesticides and, and the toxins and all this stuff. But just think of fertilizer in general. Fertilizer invented was able to put, uh, you were able to essentially have longer growing seasons and you were able to plant plants and crops in places that um, were like, you were not able to grow crops otherwise. That's why, for example, they had the Spice Islands. I mean, in the 1400s, 1500s, and 1600s, I mean, it was the richest thing ever to have spices because they were only able to grow it in that particular part of the world. That's why they spent so much money to attain all these spices. I mean, just think about that. Your spice cabinet was worth millions of dollars, okay? Maybe not millions, your spice cabinet, but like your spice cabinet could be worth like 50 grand, you know what I mean? Like, or 100 grand even. So when you really break that down, that's kind of fucking crazy. But when you think about it, these, these, these ideas of like fertilizer, oh shit, we can actually grow some shit in an environment that's not suitable normally for this particular plant or vegetable, but it will be now because of fertilizer. So, so we really don't know the cap of human population because we're only limited to the perspective of where we're at now, how we consume energy now, how we grow food now, how we're able to provide for human civilization now. We can't determine the future of innovation. So therefore, we can only be assured assure that we will live for longer generations, you know, maybe hundreds and hundreds of generations in the future by allowing a free society to exist so that there's a freedom of ideas, there's an exchange of ideas and freedom of speech and bad ideas and good ideas, all the fucking ideas. Everybody gets to say some shit and everybody gets to conclude what their culture is going to be. And that's how we build human civilization. Human civilization is going to be built by having a sustainable, open, free culture and then exporting that culture to other parts of the world so that we can garner the best of humanity from everywhere in the world. And that the internet itself, if we could export the internet, just the connectivity of everybody, not the fucking AI, you know, technocratic, you know, transhumanism agenda everywhere all over the world, but generally the internet of information and learning and all the things, we can learn from different cultures and combine all of that and make the best possible culture, the best possible society, and therefore build the best possible civilization. And that's how I'm going to end this particular podcast, guys. I really appreciate you tuning in, and uh, we've had a great run. And I'm, I, if you want to read the whole article, you can do just that. Um, and it's going to be on my Substack, which I'll, I'll link to the uh, link below. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. Have a great rest of your day. Peace.